Hey, everybody, find the book of Jude. Andrew and I just decided to have a meeting there real quick. Uh, <laughs> everything's great. <laughs> you know, um, I'm going to go ahead and confess this. Some of you will be utterly shocked. I have trouble obeying the speed limit. Um, if anyone did not know that, my wife seems to be compelled to tell everyone in the world, no, you do. You should pray about it later, okay? But I will say that I live on this stretch of Highway 49 that I generally do not speed on because there is, there is not a week that goes by that either between my house in Roxborough or my house in Prospect Hill that I don't see somebody stopped on Highway 49. The Highway Patrol Station is out there, and uh, people just ignore that, and they drive like crazy. And, and uh, I mean, even last night, you know, we, we left, and um, we had been at a party, and I was driving because Care had ridden with me. And um, <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was good. <laughs> and uh, and I, we had passed somebody, and I just said, you know, hey, they're driving crazy here, you know, and we come over the little hill not too far past Brett's house, and bloop, there's somebody stopped, and so I, I'm one of these light blinker guys. If I, if I see a policeman and somebody's coming, I'm hitting it, buddy, and I'll tell you, especially people who drive work trucks or semis or whatever, because I'm like, they're out there working, they're pushing to get their job done, I want to be that guy, right, Matt? And if I'm blinking, I'm not faking, right? I'm, I'm blinking because there's something going on, right? Somebody told me one time I was against the law. I didn't believe them, but I couldn't say it wasn't, so I looked it up. It's not. So your boys out there letting you know where the fuzz are. But just this past Monday, and Bill, or Tuesday, or one day this week, I actually forgotten what day, Bill had testified of this. We're coming down the road, and there had been a stoppage in the road because a tractor had a large plow on it and he was coming along and had to, he couldn't get all the way off the road. Uh, he was going around a sign in a mailbox and his plow had caused uh, the oncoming guy to slam on brakes and he had dumped a very expensive load of modified soybean seeds. And they were all over the road and I was just thinking, oh boy, that's a lot of, I didn't know what it was. I had to call Bill, I said, Bill, what was that? Because you know, we're hillbillies, and we have to talk about these things. And he told me, I was like, oh, boy, that's expensive. And it took a little bit for him to work it out, and I got around him. And, and as I'm going up the road, I'm, I'm doing the blinky-blink thing. This time, it wasn't for fear of the police. It was an accident waiting to happen, wasn't it, Bill? It was in a curve over a hill on both sides. And so I'm doing, and a guy, I blinky-blinked a guy, and he angrily spoke some Italian sign language to me in the windshield. Let's just say, I'll use Brett's terminology, he mean mugged me. And not only did he do it in the windshield, as we passed, he made sure to turn and continue mean mugging me in the side window. Of course, I gave my favorite response to such behavior. which is my Christian way of saying Jesus is watching or else I'd be doing something else. And I thought, wow, I'm just trying to warn you, bud, that it's a potential hazard here. 
I can't tell you how many times I share the gospel with people, even sometimes as I'm preaching, and I feel like I'm getting that same reaction. I'm just blinking to let you know something's up. I'm warning you. I'm warning you, you know, and how you respond to that is totally on you. Now, I'm glad Matt's here. Matt, I can't tell you how many truckers will give me the wave, the nod, the blink back. Truckers appreciate it. They know what it's like to just be doing your job and get stopped all the time, you know. And so they're like, thanks. They know what it's like to have to take a long time to stop a heavy load. So they're like, thanks, you know. It's, it, and so you get that knowing nod from believers sometimes who are, who are bearing the load of the faith. They go, yeah, man, I get it. You know, I needed that warning. I understand why you're warning me. And then sometimes you just get that average traveler who's just mean mugging you for a little light action. This passage, wow, to say it's pregnant with heaviness is, is an understatement. But with every, with every clause, I'm not even going to say every verse, with every clause, it's like a sledgehammer not even on our toes. It's not a little toe stomping. It's a, it's a sledgehammer. It's banging about our clavicles and hitting us about the head, and it's, it's heavy. It's doom and gloom. But maybe we could say, thank God for Jude, who's coming down the highway going, blink, 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 blink. Pay attention. Something's ahead. Something's amiss. You, you, you better beware of something. So with that to set our stage... Let's look at Jude, beginning at verse number 8 through verse 13. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's era and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds, Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Fathers, we open your word. This is no doubt, this is no doubt, a very difficult passage filled with very strong metaphors. Filled indeed with the warning of certain sorts of sins and, and absolutely, absolutely the warning of certain sorts of judgments. They all hit our culture dead between the eyes and we being a part of it may not own the guilt in full but the guilt in part. And it's likely we could get caught up in the consequence in full, not just in part. So Father, I pray you give us some understanding here and let us feel both the weight of the warning and the weight of glory for surely God what you bear for us on the cross is stronger than all that sin might do 
In Jesus we pray, amen and amen. Well, without further ado, believe it or not, I only read a few verses, but to quote the theologian Jerry Reed, we got a long ways to go in a short time to get there. Let's look very quickly at three big thoughts and some ideas inside of those three thoughts. The first of those is this. There are three areas of sin deserving judgment pointed out to us in this passage. The first one is simple. It's the sins of rebellion. Sins of rebellion. When you read in verse 8 that he says, yet in like manner, he's backing up to verse 7, and he's saying, just, just as in Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve as, a, as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. In other words, God judged those cities, like literally judged them, and burn them up, five cities of the plain. And so he says, and these people, these, these heretics, these, these sick teachers, these false people, they are just like that. In other words, they are doing what those people done, and they can expect what those people got. Whew, that's tough. That's tough. And the first thing I think they point out is our sins of rebellion. Where do I get that? Well, look at what it says in verse 8. They defile the flesh. We could, we could get into this all day long, but what they mean here is they defile the flesh just like Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words, these people are predisposed to sexual sin. They reject authority just like the people who were coming out of Egypt re rejected the authority of the angels that God sent to God and lead them and give them revelation. And they speak evil. They speak evil of the glorious ones. They blaspheme the glorious ones. They deny God's messengers. That's the, that's the picture we're getting here in, in verse number 8 that points us back and to verse number 7. This is a tough situation. And what it unveils is sins of rebellion. Now, a lot of us think, I don't have any part of these sins of rebellion. Well, just hold on. Let's look at the big ones. The big sins of rebellion are obviously outright rebelling against God, rebelling against his leadership, rebelling against his divine revelation. It's happening all over. It's in the news every day. In our country right now, there is no hotter topic and no more pervasive worldview than the worldview revolving around sexuality and gender. And if anybody's making any mistake about what he's talking about that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, pick up Genesis 19 and read for yourself the gross mess that was normal there. It was normal. And you can see for yourself that it's becoming normal here. And it's moving past the normalcy. It's celebrated. It's moving past celebrated. It's expected that everyone get on board with this normalcy. Now, it's shocking to the American ear to hear somebody is not on page with our system of cultural thought. But it's okay. Judah's dead, and if you're in Christ, you'll meet him in heaven, and he's unbothered by our disagreement with him. Jude is not bothered at all that we don't see things like he sees them. And it's not even a problem if you don't see things like Jude saw them. Okay, you and Jude don't get along. Here's where it's a problem. We believe, the church believes, that the revelation, the prophecy, the doctrine given to Jude is part of the New Testament canon. It comes down from God on high. It reveals and reinforces his morality that he expects us 
to approve of. So it's not about this is Jude's opinion. It's Jude is unveiling to us God's opinion, God's rule, God's holiness. But that's the tactic of today. We disdain. We cast doubt. This is, this is the modern technique of dismissing the Bible. We disdain what it says. We disdain the sayer. We cast doubt on its validity. We normalize the opposite behavior. We celebrate it. And then we begin to make everyone else celebrate it too. And it gets to the place, if you don't celebrate it, you're wrong. Judah's saying, that's the life in Sodom and Gomorrah. And these people, that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to shift your culture and make you say sin is cool and righteousness is uncool. There was a certain prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah, you know what he would say about this? Woe to them they call evil good. Anybody know the other half? And good evil. See how many people knew that? And before you think I'm saying go out and attack every person who disagrees with you, hogwash. First, just come into joyful agreement with God. That's already a wrestling match. <laughs> That's already a wrestling match. It just is. Now, somebody's in here going, well, thank God he's not talking about me. I'm, I'm not a rebel. I'm not a sexual rebel. But are you a rebel? Are you that person who thinks the rules don't apply to you? Because, you know, where it, where, it tends to, where it tends to begin showing up is in all these tiny ways. Like not too long ago, I went into a place and I was toting a bottle of water and it said, no food and drinks allowed. And I said to myself, well, that's for, that's for irresponsible people. And I slid my bottle of water in my back pocket, even though it said no food and drinks allowed. I said, you know, I just won't drink it, you know. I'll, I'll have it, but I'll obey. And plus, it's for the irresponsible people. And I promptly sat down and popped the top off of it and shot it all over my back and on my booty and got the seats wet that they didn't want food and drinks on. You say no big deal, though, right? But doesn't it reveal a bit of a rebel's heart? I think I'm above the rules there. At, at, at a Quipper camp this week, during lunch, I gave an example of those people who, in a traffic jam, remember this, Rachel? In a traffic jam, they go out on that, that, uh, that shoulder lane. Oh, I can't stand those people. Friday night, we're going to Durham. We're stuck on 40. What happens? Here comes one of those people. They're just driving out there. Like, you know, the, the person where it says, it says no admittance, and they just go right around the sign. We see it at the warehouse. We put cones in the driveway. I watched somebody run over them the other day. Cones. Oh, that, those cones. They weren't meant for me. You ever thought about our entire culture is built around the celebration of rebellion? Our nation was born out of rebellion, and we celebrate it. And somebody, but they was wrong, were they? The rich guys were mad that they were getting taxed. Poor folks was just growing snaps in their garden. Do a history lesson. What it's done is it's created a culture in us. Just think about 100 years later, or not nearly 100 years later in the same country. We had a war basically because we said, no, you guys, we have a constitutional declaration of independence, responsibility to stand up against this evil. We love rebellion so much we celebrate it. We, we, we even let people do rebellious things against the symbols of our rebellious things. Like burn a flag. Our flag is a symbol of rebellion against Great Britain. And we say, oh, burn it. It's okay. Everywhere in our culture is embedded rebellion. You know, you know what Baptist's favorite thing to do? Have an argument and start another church. 
rather than have, being driven by the Great Commission, they say, oh, you're not telling me what to do. We'll just go down the street and build our own building. We won't work it out. On and on and on. The, how about your kids? You know, they say, no cell phones in class or during school or while you're testing. And you think, well, that's a dumb rule. And then you act really surprised when the teacher comes along and says, we'll take that to the end of the day. This ain't right! Blink, 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 blink. Everywhere we turn, we're rebellious people. About how we behave toward our parents. Ooh. I don't know how you guys do with your parents or did with your parents, but if my parents told me no, I wanted to get as close to the edge of rebellion, if not all the way in rebellion as I could. I'll never forget my mom smoking a cigarette saying, I, I don't want you to smoke. And, uh, and so uh, I pulled out a cigar and lit it up in front of her. It's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm not smoking cigarettes. Did I lose the spirit of that or what? We're rebels. And you can read this passage, and the whole point of this passage is for us to get the sort of wisdom that we recognize heresy in our midst. But we should also pause and recognize rebellion in our hearts. And just ask ourselves, do we rebel for the sake of righteousness or do we rebel for the sake of selfishness? Because what's at the core of this rebellion is rebelling for the sake of selfishness. Not only is it sins of rebellion, it's sins of arrogance. That's part of what verse 9 teaches us. Where did he get this from? Where, where, where in the Bible does it tell the story of Michael contending with the devil, arguing over the body of Moses? Let me go ahead and cut to the chase. It doesn't. Simon Kistemacher says this. In these two verses, Jude relies on information that is recorded in the apocryphal book, The Testament of Moses, or, or a related work known as The Assumption of Moses. In other words, this story is not told in the Bible. It's told somewhere else, but God wanted it told in the Bible, so he plucked this story out and stuck it in the canon. It doesn't mean everything else in the book of Moses is valid. It means God wanted this to be valid. He wanted this understanding to be valid. But what is it really about? Moses wanted a body. I mean, excuse me, the devil wanted Moses' body. Why? Well, there's a twofold lesson here. Some commentators believe it's because Moses is going to be one of those two witnesses in Revelations 11, and the devil's trying to, trying to distort or, or, or disrupt God's ultimate plan. I don't know about that. It's plausible theologically. But the greater point is that the angel, the archangel Michael, would not rebel. He was not arrogant. The devil is arrogant, trying to lay hands on one of God's elect. Michael, Michael won't even say, you know, Michael won't even say, I curse you. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. It shows the devil's arrogance and the archangel Michael's humility, all in one fell swoop. And then sins of ignorance. Where do you see that? Look in verse number 10. Two things that will get you in trouble faster than any other things are, showed, are, are proved to us in verse 10. They blaspheme all they do not understand, and then they act like unreasoning animals. The two things that will get you in more trouble than you can handle are your mouth and your feelings. Somebody say amen. And that's basically what sends it, you, you know, I, I, one of my favorite groups to work with is middle schoolers. And I can't tell you how many times I say to them, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it is. <laughs> 
And, th and that's what he's saying here in verse 10. These people, they blaspheme all they do not understand. What is the main thing we don't understand? Anybody want to take a stab at it? What's the number one thing we don't understand? The Lord. The Lord. I'm going to give you guys a, a lesson today. I'll be honest, I'm not going to poke fun at anybody. Who's on social media? Instagram, Facebook, the other things that I don't know the name of. Oh, Twitter. Let me see your hands again. I want to take a look. All right, I'm going to tell you all a secret about social media. You ready? Might want to get your pencils out and write this down. You ready? Just because you have free speech does not mean you ought to use it. Sometimes, y'all get ready, this is a deep theological truth. Sometimes you need to hush. Probably more times than not. This isn't about social media. This is about those type of people who work to condone what God has said he does not condone. It's that, it's that point blank and simple. And if you want to get it 100% in context, the largest thing he is talking about is sexual sin and gross immorality. But that's not all. That's, that's the main thing. That's not all. Where do I get the fact that people live by their feelings? Unreasoning animals. Unreasoning animals. So I went over to a person's house today that I'd never gone to in my life, and they have a dog, that I, a dog type I've never been around. You ever heard of a dog, a kind called a feist? That's my first time hearing of it. I have never seen a smarter dog than that dog I saw today. But that dog was very afraid of me. It's a little girl dog, and she had a little half tail, and she had it tucked under. She's walking crouched up, and, and I love dogs, and I'm doing what I was taught to do with dogs. I'm not looking at her. I'm holding my hand, and, and she's sneaking up on me, but she's, she's totally not sure. Well, my, my, the, the time that I can squat is not very long. So I was either going to fall down or stand up. That's the two choices I had. And so I stood up, and it just scared that little dog, and it ran around the truck and went into its kennel voluntarily. Now, that animal doesn't reason. Living by her fear, by her feelings, I look like something to be totally afraid of. Perhaps she's heard my story about eating dog kebabs in Korea. I don't know. But she was unreasoned, and she ran away. But then guess what? When I, I went inside, I came back out. I finally was able to get her to come to me, and I just sat rubbing her, not looking at her, and then I slowly turned, I looked at her, and then when I stood up, guess what? She was jumping all over my leg. We were friends. You know, I couldn't say, hey, I'm harmless. Use reason. I have nothing in my hand. I'm not here to hurt you. There's no barbecue lighted up. I don't have a fork with me. You know, I don't have a secret dog kryptonite. I couldn't use reason. All that animal had to go with was its feelings. I want to tell you, we have trained our culture to talk too much and live by our feelings. And so we often think through the flesh. We're unreasoning. If it feels good, do it is the cry of the day. 
I can't tell you how many things young people dismiss with this statement. Well, I just like it. Hmm. I just like it. I just like it. This is what Judah's getting at, and it is heavy. He's saying, in like manner, these people in Sodom and Gomorrah who were rebellious and arrogant and ignorant, and they showed their ignorance by blaspheming the good things of God, and they lived by their feelings, and it subverted their faith. You got people in your midst, and he's speaking to the church, who do the same thing. So he brings up three examples of condemnation. And I'll go through these very quickly. There in those next verses, three examples. He names the way of Cain. What was the way of Cain all about? Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. And he had a problem. His, he felt like his number one problem was his younger brother. That his younger brother got God's favor and he didn't. And it was his younger brother's fault that he didn't get God's favor. And while this might sound extreme, just think about the Nazis built an entire hate movement saying our country's in the pits because of Jews and gypsies and Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, communists. That was a, they built a whole doctrine. They got everybody to distrust and hate entire people groups. Cain, that was born in the heart of Cain. Cain said, oh, all my problems are Abel. So what does he do to Abel? Anybody know? He killed him. K-I-L-T-T-E-D, kilted him, dead, all the way. And then later on, later on, I love this expression, said his blood cried out from the ground. It says, don't fall for the way of Cain, where what you do is you make your brother your problem. More likely than not, you are your problem, not someone else. In other words, don't fall for the way of Cain where you blame someone else instead of facing God and seeking his mercy. Or don't fall for the era of Balaam. Now, Balaam is an awesome story. I don't know if you guys remember this. If you want to read up on it, it's Numbers 22 through 25. But Balaam was paid by the king of Moab to put a curse on the Israelites as they were coming through his country on the way to the promised land. And as he was on his way to pronounce curses on Israel... God warned Balaam not to say what he was going to say. But, and I won't take time to do it here, but in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, we get a little commentary. Basically, it says Balaam wanted the money. He wanted the money, right? And so what does God do? God makes his donkey speak to him. I don't know if what's more incredible that the donkey speaks or that Balaam answers. But I know there's been a many preacher who got in their call and reading this story. They was like, I could be a donkey. And so, as Balaam tries to speak curses, it doesn't work. He winds up speaking blessings. He winds up speaking blessings. The point of, 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 of this warning about Balaam here is don't be this person who goes against God, goes against God's people, goes against God's ways because you sense there's some profit in it for you. Or the rebellion of Korah. Mm. Korah's chief problem was that he was power hungry. He wanted to be a priest, but God hadn't had him born in the order of the priest. He wanted to be the priest in charge. He wanted to be over Aaron. He couldn't do it. God didn't allow it. Moses wasn't allowing it, but Moses did not know how to end the rebellion peacefully. 
Korah organized a whole bunch of people. And God gave Moses, uh, read about this in number 16, God gave Moses a test for Korah and Aaron. Basically says they're both going to offer incense, and whoever, whichever one's offering is approved by God, they'll be the priest. Well, I don't know if you know what happened, but in the end, God accepts Aaron's incense, and Korah is destroyed. So it's, 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 a, it's a warning against being power-hungry, being pay-hungry, and being pleasure-hungry. Don't be like Cain. Don't be like Balaam. Don't be like Korah. Don't be driven by these tools and desires of the flesh. And even if you do have the good desire for acceptance and, and influence, the, the positive sides of these, do it God's way. Do it God's way. Now, this is going to bring out some big nerd stuff. Anybody ever seen The Chariots of Fire, the movie, Chariots of Fire? Okay, I highly recommend this movie to anybody. Long story short, in the movie, it's this, not a lot of the movie is exactly accurate because they basically took two Olympic teams and put them together to tell one story. But um, there's this one part that is true. Guy's widely considered the fastest sprinter on the face of the planet at the time, and he finds out that they're going to run his event on a Sunday, and that, that violates that violates his personal convictions about what you do on Sunday. And he says, I'm not going to run. They actually bring the Prince of England to talk to him. He's like, run. He's like, ah, I'm not going to do it. You know, you might be the prince, but, you know, I got a king that's even higher than your pops, so not going to do it. And so this guy comes in and says, well, I know he could outrun me in my event, so why don't you let him run my event? Well, an American sprinter runs up and puts a piece of paper in his hand, and on the piece of paper is a Bible verse. Whoever honors, it says, whoever honors me, I will honor. He held the Bible verse in his hand and ran in an event that he had never competed in and set a world record and won a gold medal. Eric Little's his name. He goes on to be a missionary in China and dies at the hands of a Japanese concentration camp in China during World War II. True story. What's my, what's my point here? Doing things God's way sometimes gives you a glorious story in the Olympics, and sometimes you die an ignominious death in a concentration camp. And sometimes both things happen to one person. But doing things God's way is where the real and eternal reward rests. So finally, and I, oh my goodness, I won't, these are so rich. We see that there's some deceptive ways that are described that we can see kind of how these things manifest in our midst, kind of how they work. Jude, verses 12 and 13, they speak of, the, of these teachers and their ways and how, uh, if you look at it, it says these guys, these guys will just be in the midst of your love feast. That means the Lord's Supper and, and, and church potluck, so to speak. And, and they'll just be there being the way they are and act like nothing's wrong with it. They're not worried about your judgment. They're not worried about God's judgment. Now, what's the big deal with that? Go read 1 Corinthians 11. <laughs> Paul says some people are struck dead just because they take the Lord's Supper the wrong way. So let me give you these five powerful metaphors very quickly. In one, in one part of the verse, it says this. It says uh, in verse 12, these are hidden reefs in your love feasts. 
And, and so I call these hidden wreckers. What do they do? They're selfish and sinful. They pervert the gospel and they come into the fellowship using the right language, using the right wording, but they don't have the right character, the right goal in mind. And they, they come in. And you know the problem with a hidden reef is a ship hits it before it realizes it's there. I call them hidden wreckers. I'll never forget, and I'll tell this story, I'll tell it publicly, I'll call names. It's okay with me. Right down the end of the streets, a man named Mark West Burton. He started coming here. He would get down on his, he would sit on the front row, get down on his knees and pray. In testimony time, he would get up, and when he first began here, he talked about pretty sensible things. He even quoted, man, when you go to quoting Charles Haddon Spurgeon around me, I, you, you got me listening. I, I, I love Spurgeon, right? Pretty soon, though, if you're really listening, he's, he's speaking against the Trinity. Uh, he's espousing racial slurs. He's saying very ugly things to, to women. He is basically stealing from people with lies. Brett and I confronted him and said, you have to stop this behavior. And uh, he cursed us, literally cursed us. We had to expel him from the fellowship. Literally had to say, if you're, if you're going to act this way, you cannot meet with this people. And then he put our names on blast all over social media. But I felt great because he also fussed about Gerald Hodges and Ben Duran. And, you know, if you get numbered with those guys, you're, you're doing pretty good, you know. Right? But he started out as a hidden reef. But we found out about him when the ship hit. When, when, our, when the ship of our fellowship come up against him, we discovered what he was. And he's a heretic. I've told it to his face. I've stood in his driveway and told him that. It's not a fun thing to do. I took no pleasure in it. What's the goal in saying it to somebody? They might turn. Uh, and, and, and so what are they? They're hidden, they're hidden wreckers. There's also these empty destabilizers. Look at this part of the verse. They are uh, hidden reefs in your love feast, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, waterless clouds. They look like they're going to promise rain, but they don't give it. But they're destabilizers because they're pushed around by the wind. They're pushed around by the waves of their emotion, the fads of the time. The list goes on and on, but we're out of time. Then you see there's fruitless dead trees. And I went through our bulletins today. Everybody hold up your bulletin. Hold them up for a minute if you got one. Hold it up where I can see the picture. I want to see the picture. All right, um, Clay, you got one. You got the garden one, I call it, right? You got some fruit in that one. It's going to have some fruit. Look at Amy's. Amy, show yours to everybody. Who's got this one, though? See, oh, Joseph's got that one. See, I, I tried to find one with the waves. Who's got the one that's got the tree, the dead-looking tree? Who's got the dead? Oh, Christina. I saw somebody in the back holding one. I tried to find, oh, Care's got the one. Care, you have the one. That's the only one like that. I, I, had, I found one bulletin cover that had a reef in it, a coral reef. I tried to match some of the imagery up. I just couldn't find enough bulletin covers. These are powerful metaphors, and they're sort of proverbial. They make you think. What's it like to have a twice-dead tree? That's, that's, a, that's a crazy image. Fruitless, dead trees. Shameless, turbulent distempers. I worked a long time to come up with this. Where do you see this? Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. You get that image, casting up the foam of their own shame. They're putting what they should be ashamed on top. Get the image of that wave coming in and the foam. They're curling the foam up like saying, we're not ashamed of this. We're not ashamed of this. 
shameless, turbulent distempers. And lastly, misleading guides with terrible destinies. I like the image of the wandering star because this is the exact opposite image of the star of Bethlehem. The star of Bethlehem stood still so they could go by it. A wandering star sort of takes you on a wild goose chase. That's what these sort of leaders are. I can name names. I could. But I also want you to hold up your bulletin one more time. Find the cartoon. When you find the cartoon, hold it up so I can see you got it. I don't even have a bulletin. What am I looking for? It's a cartoon. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, is it on the next to last page, Christina? Yeah. Just take a second to look at that cartoon. If, if, uh, if you're on Facebook, I'll, I'll post a cartoon in the comments later. You see that cartoon? That is one of the most brilliant little cartoons I've ever seen. You got, um, you got Joseph in a pit. Who else do you guys see? You got uh, Abraham. Who else you see? Samson. What are they all doing, guys? What are they all doing? They're saying they point to the cross. If I summed up what Jude is saying here, watch out for anybody that ain't pointing you to the cross. And watch out. Because they're going to get in your midst. You're not going to realize some of them until you bump up against them. And they are, they are as R.C. Sproul, speaking of this passage, neatly summed up. He says, ultimately, they look like they should be fruitful, but they are fruitless. And this is not even a new subject. What did Jesus say? Tares will grow up among the wheat. Why are we careful not to pull up the tares? Because we might hurt some of the wheat. And we're very prayerful that a tear might get a miracle and become weak. A lot of you guys, I mean, I'll pick on my wife because she's my wife and I got papers on her. But she faithfully grew up in church, right? Some, some people come to the Lord growing up in a Christian family, going to church faithfully. They come to the Lord at five, six, seven, eight years old. Care is a rebellious, hard-headed Stiff-necked sinner. And it took 15 years of hammering away at her hard head, beating away at her leather-crusted heart, and a revelation from God on a youth retreat for the Holy Spirit to break through. So she grew up in church most of her growing up years as a tear, and she got a miracle. I think it's beautiful. She told me one time, she didn't have a testimony. Like, I was like, what? You don't have a testimony? Anybody who gets saved by God has a testimony. Anybody. Somebody say amen. I don't care how sober your life was. It's a miracle if you get saved. But I think it's crazy that she grew up all them years, and at one of the most hard-headed seasons of her life, that's when God gets hold to her. I'm going to tell you all what, a 15-year-old will make you crazy. All the parents say, And 20-year-olds too, Katie. Stop laughing. As a matter of fact, I think every age makes us a little crazy. But 15-year-olds are crazy. What's God do? God converts my wife at 15 years old. And so, so that a few years later, she was prepared to tolerate me while I was needing a miracle. What's my point? I don't want to have to make a list. I don't want to have to give you advice on every novel you read, every show you watch. 
I don't want to have to be, you know, standing over every conversation you have. We shouldn't need that. We shouldn't need the elders to guard every interaction we have. We, we should want somebody to give us sober warnings and teach us how to recognize danger. That's just part of Christian maturity. So East Rock Community Church, I don't want you, and I don't think God wants you to live in some dreaded fear that he's going to whack you over the head at any moment. But what I do want us, what I think God wants from us is that we become mature, able to recognize these pitfalls, able to recognize heretics. I've seen people in this congregation post Stephen Furtick's videos. His theology is no bueno. I'm just going to straight up tell you. Elevation music's got some goofy theology in it. I don't get on social media and call you out and lock you out of the Facebook page. I just go, Lord, help them see. Tight jeans and a $3.2 million house means there's problems. But not nearly as bad as the problems behind what the man is saying. I don't want to have to be the police, the sheep's every action. But I want the sheep to run to the shepherd when they sense the danger. But they got to learn to sense the danger beyond feelings. And they got to stop embracing the danger because of feelings. That's what Judas teaches. Let's pray. Ooh. Lord, so many rich images, so many frightening possibilities here. And I see rebellion in my own heart. And I often console myself that I'm not as bad as the, the, the person that's doing this thing over here. The truth is, where there's any part of me that's not just like Jesus, you would rather see me cut it off and cause it to keep me away from Jesus. Where there's any part of me that longs after anything that's not a part of you, you want to grow me up, you want to drive it out, you want to see a shift in me. And I've got a rebel's heart. I got a rebel's heart. And it manifests in my tongue, and it manifests in my feelings, and it manifests in my desires. And God, I find myself wrestling with you sometimes instead of wrestling with my flesh. I find myself trying to find a way to get you to give me permission to be bad, to sin, to do wrong, instead of Spending the same amount of time asking you to deliver me from myself. And I confess, God, I like things out on the edge. I love hard rock music and that, that, that says really heinous things. And country music that does the same thing. I confess, God, that I don't think a movie's interested unless it's got a hard rating. I confess that I'm struggling many, many days to love holiness. And I know, God, I know that what you want to do is rescue me even from myself. So, Father, help me to see the pitfalls of Balaam 
and Cain and Korah help me to recognize how these things work against my soul and help me to love the forsaking of sin. I know, God, that what you have begun, you will not stop until I'm just like Jesus. So I rejoice, oh Jesus, that you're going to hold me fast and never let me go. I pray for our congregation, Father, that we become as gentle as doves and as wise as serpents in this world. I pray, Father, that we learn to walk with you in such a way that we not only recognize our own foolishness, our own sinfulness, but we recognize those elements that would wreck the faith, that would wreck the fellowship, that would wreck our freedom. Help East Rock Community Church so treasure Jesus. Help Timbo so treasure Jesus that anything that would threaten that treasure is the thing I hate the most, especially if it's in me. Now, God, as we respond to you in worship, deal with us in your mercy and in your kindness and in your goodness. Lead us to revelation and repentance, restoration, and freedom. In Jesus I pray, amen.